Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I'm also grateful to my colleague, Rachel Wagner Hutchison, who um, is going to be participating in the sermon this morning, and I am so excited about this. So I get to sit for a sermon, I'm not sure, I haven't done that since, I pulled a stool out one time. Okay, so I'm excited, I get to, I get to preach from sitting down a little bit today, but, um, but I'm, I'm excited because I have wanted to do sort of a dialogical sermon for quite some time, that look, I am as, I am as aware as anybody else that folks over time get tired of hearing my voice. I'm very comfortable with that. You're free to tell me that. We've just heard you a lot, and I appreciate that. So other voices can be really, really useful, not to mention the exchange of ideas that often happens between two people. But even more, I'm excited to introduce, if you do not know, Rachel Wagner Hutchison. Rachel has been so key to our efforts as we have continued to pursue wise and to generate a conversation around the issues around mental health. Um, she is a member of our WISE steering team, along with uh, Linda and Steve Mathias. Um, she brings a wealth of experience as a healthcare worker. Um, you're not a doctor, but you work in the healthcare industry. And so, um, so that, and that is a perspective that a lot of us don't have and seeing how that works. And she is also one who has experience um, in herself and you know, outside of herself with those you know, who, who do struggle under the burden of mental health. And so her combination of competency and compassion, along with commitment, continues to inspire me as we do this work together. I need to give you the, that. What am I doing? You might have to turn it on. It's not on yet. And so I thought it might be a good idea, as we think about WISE and on this Mental Health Sunday, um, to have a conversation around mental health, your own experience, and how that experience has intersected with your faith. And so, Rachel, thank you um, for being willing to do this for the first time with me, sitting up here in front of everybody and a camera with me. Can't be the easiest thing in the world, so thank you. Thank you. This is easier than than uh, doing Shrek the musical and playing the Wicked Witch and being on stage for the first time in my 40s. So <laughs> I'll take this over that. No, it was a lot of fun, but. <laughs> Shrek, huh? we'll have another conversation yeah, about that I, at some point. Yeah, I have point. a video I still haven't watched, oh, and that was two and years we ago. Have, we, we have ways of showing that video, <laughs> so we might have to Not do that. Not if I burn it. <laughs> So I, I invite you to start with just a brief introduction um, to your experiences of mental health. Like, why does this matter to you? And sure. usually the answer to that question is personal. Yeah, yeah, so, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but I'm very open about my story. Um, uh, those of you that I've talked with during our discussion series we've been doing and just others, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody over coffee, tea, or outside in a park or whatever, but I'll be quick here. Um, so that we can focus on some of the other stuff. Um, I have an official diagnosis of anxiety and depression. And um, in recent, in the last year, believe too, with working with my therapist, that I probably have some disordered eating thoughts, not an eating disorder per, per se, but definitely some disordered eating thoughts. Um, I've been seeing a therapist for over 20 years, um, off and on. And it has been um, a godsend to me. It has gotten me through tough times. It's helped me find different paths, see things that I never would have thought of. It was like having a really great friend that I could say anything to um, that would never judge me and that might turn things and, and mention something that I'd never thought of. So, um, but 
where I really received a diagnosis of anxiety and depression was um, after my daughter was born. So I was in my late 30s, and uh, I just didn't feel right after the pregnancy. It was nothing like I know some women deal with, with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, but it was enough that knowing what I knew about myself, um, I went to my OBGYN and I said, something's not right. So at that point, I was prescribed a medication to take on a regular basis. Um, about a year later, it was working for me, but I wasn't able to go off of it, so I, went, I started seeing um, a psychiatrist and stuff. Meanwhile, um, about the same time, uh, Garrett, my middle son, who was between first or was in first grade, was having a lot of trouble, and um, we, we definitely saw some of the signs of ADHD with him. Um, and it's hard because there's this, and and hey, I thought it before I had a son with it too. Um, there was this overwhelming. This is a compliance issue. Your child is not compliant. He's not smart. He's, he's not bored because he's smart. He doesn't know how to be compliant. And we went through testing, and thankfully, um, I have people that I know through my work, I work in health insurance, who had had children with similar things, were able to point me in the right direction of doctors. Um, we were able to have the ability to pay out of pocket for testing so I didn't have to go through the school system. And we, he was diagnosed with ADHD and dysgraphia, which I can get into what that is, I didn't even know. But anyway, I think it was after that that I really, I felt this need to be much more open about my journey and my family's journey and to take away the stigma because it wasn't right that he went into school and there was a stigma around what he did. When we took the, the psychologist proposed recommendations to a small private school here in Carroll County, um, the founder of the school looked at it and he's like, this is common sense. You shouldn't have to tell a school to do this. And he's thrived, and he's a ninth grader now doing amazing. Um, uh, Max also has, um, has gone through a lot with anxiety and depression. COVID definitely, definitely made that very hard. The isolation last spring and into the summer for someone with those types of diagnoses is really, really hard. Um, and then Jules has ADHD and mixed dyslexia, which is exactly what her father has too. So uh, we have a very neurodiverse family, <laughs> you could say. <laughs> it's a new thing, neurodiversity. Neurodiverse, no, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I never wanted my kids to have to be embarrassed about asking for what they needed. And I never wanted them to think that they were less because they were different. And that's why I'm so outspoken about it. Yeah. Now, it's fascinating to listen to you talk, and, and we've had this conversation you know, in a couple different ways, mm -hmm. but one of the things that I, that I hear is the ways that sometimes we talk about mental health as like this thing that is separate. Like, we do the same thing with dental insurance. It's like, as, as somehow dental insurance isn't like a part of my whole like insurance yeah. thing, like if that makes sense? It's an and we do, Yeah, and we do the same thing with mental health. <laughs> We're like all these body things, mm -hmm. and then over here is this, is this mental issue, and mm -hmm. if you've got that, if you've got something going on there, then you handle it. But what I hear is your, your experience was something that happened to your body, pregnancy, mm -hmm. impacted your brain. Like, audit, like those two yep. things were connected. They were not isolated. And then the other thing that I heard is, you know, with your kids, and you really emphasize this idea of compliance. Well, 
in healthcare language or insurance language, you might say compliance. But in church, sometimes we use this language of that kid doesn't behave, therefore they are sinful. Mm -hmm. Like there is some kind, like they are not, they're not being obedient and there is some kind of spirit, like they're going sideways spiritually, which is not accurate because mm -hmm. they don't experience the world in the same way. And yeah. so there's a lot of this kind of, it go, all of a sudden these, these issues, this neurodiverse family you find yourself in, find you're in much larger conversations very, very quickly. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing to consider. It's not isolated to just what's going on between the ears. It really yeah. does impact the entirety of our lives. Absolutely. And so I, one of the things I have admired about you as we've had these conversations, and you would think a pastor, somebody who went to seminary or whatever, would be skilled at the idea of when my mental health goes south using my spirituality to sort of, you know, to find a, to find a level and a solid place to stand to get healthy. As I was and still go through my issues, my spiritual, like I removed that from the conversation. I'm still like trying to figure out why I did that, but some of it probably had to do with a difficult church life, and so yeah, there were moments that were difficult for me, and so I didn't want to go back into the, I didn't want to use the tools I'd learned in that environment to address you know, where some of, some of my concerns had been. But you have this really well-honed ability to use your spirituality to address mm -hmm. you know, the neurodiversity that you find in yourself and in those around you. And so how, like, why? Like, what was it that triggered that? How has your spiritual mm -hmm. formation played an important role in your journey with mental health? Mm -hmm. So I, my anxiety really displays itself as anger. Um, I get very angry, short fuse pot of boiling water and suddenly the lid pops off and you got that, you know, you're boiling potatoes and there's water everywhere. It's like, what happened? Um, and that's how I was. And that was really hard because I was that way with the kids and I knew that wasn't fair to them. And I think once they had a diagnosis and I was able to say, there's something about having diagnosis that you feel like, okay, now I can do something. So when I had the diagnosis for them, I knew that I needed to work on myself. And I'd been working on myself for a while <laughs> uh, with my therapist. Um, and I had been looking for the right message for me. I knew I was a perfectionist. I think my therapist told me that on like our fourth appointment. It's one of the reasons your story makes sense to me. We yeah. share that. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's like, that's not a good thing. I'm like, sure it is. <laughs> Perfectionism's awesome. <laughs> but. And, and as a child growing up, it probably was. I did really well. I was very successful. I got awards. I was, you know, captain in the marching band, and I was this and I was that because I worked really hard. As long as I worked hard enough, I could accomplish the task. But anyway, jumping years forward, that's a lot harder when you have three kids, a husband, a full-time job, and a house. Um, so, and it's hard for all of us, no matter what that piece is. You know, it doesn't have to be three kids. It can be one kid. It can be no kid, and you want to have a kid. It doesn't matter. It can be any of those things. But anyway, I really started looking around the same time that, I guess, Garrett got his diagnosis. I was looking for something for me. And, you know, I loved my church community, but I never thought of coming in and saying, hey, I have this. I need to find something. I never really thought of that. Sure. I've never been good maybe until recently, I think I'm starting to get the ability to read the Bible and find meaning in it and mm -hmm. something I can apply to my day-to-day -day life. I've, that was hard for me. So for me, and I, it, who knows, it might have been all my strange Amazon searches that popped it up, but this book pops up called Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. I'm like, self-compassion? What do you mean? Well, I'm compassionate with people. You know, someone needs a shoulder to cry on, somebody needs extra, you know, hey, you're doing really good. I'm compassionate. 
I'm like, hang on, what's self-compassion? And I bought, I think I bought it first on um, Kindle or Audible, I can't remember. But, and I now own it in Audible, Kindle, and paperback. <laughs> um, so if anybody needs to borrow it, you're very welcome. Um, to, but the, the point of it was that we have to be kind to ourselves, that we should treat ourselves like that friend who's going through the worst moment in their life, and that you should treat yourself like that. You should be, you know, but in this world, we tend to berate ourselves. Oh, I could have handled that better. I could have, I didn't need to say that. I shouldn't have shouted. I should have kept my voice normal. I should have done. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that if I could look at Jesus, you know, this, the, the golden rule, do unto others as you would yeah. have them do unto you. Well, sometimes what I do to myself isn't healthy to me. Thanks. And when I replicate that, sometimes it's not helpful to others. And so mm -hmm. there's this presumption of, oh, I love myself and I'm really kind to myself. Yeah. And that's not always a wise presumption. No, Especially exactly. for us perfectionists. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it started building on it, introduced me to mindfulness, which is being aware of your surroundings and aware of your pains, but being able to see them in a context of kind of a non-judgmental context. I'm not going to judge the fact that okay, this is what happened. I got upset and I shouted. I'm not going to judge myself for that. What brought me to that? What? And, and even as corny as it sounds, it's called loving kindness. Um, saying, darling, it's okay. You had a hard moment. Give yourself a minute. And saying that to yourself. And it sounds corny and weird, but it really helps. <laughs> um, and I started using meditation it would mostly breathing exercises and using loving kindness. Uh, mindfulness was hel helpful in there too. Um, and as I developed this, I was actually on Christmas history and we do devotions. Each, each month somebody selected to do devotions. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do for devotions? I'm not your kind to just read a prayer. Yeah, that's not my thing. So it's like, you know what? And I started thinking about that self-compassion book. And just like you said, I realized, hang on a second. Jesus, if God can be so compassionate with us and so be not, not and be so not judgmental of us and be there for us, and He sent Jesus to be there for us, that's how He expects me to treat myself. So God's telling me this is the path. This is, this is, you know, you're too hard on yourself. He's there patting you on the shoulder, but He wants you to be able to do that for yourself too. And that's really where the spirituality started to connect into it. And it opened up my spirituality. I mean, I grew up in a church, believed in God, but I've always been in awe of people that can sit back and say, I'm putting it in God's hands. I feel at peace. I'm in awe of that. Yeah. Completely and utterly. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, yeah. And I was just like, wow. And, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know... I, I'm driven to action, you know, like, okay, here's the problem, I want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And this idea of just resting in mm -hmm. our reality is, mm -hmm. is something that I do wrestle with. The words you used, mindfulness, spirituality, those kind of things, can feel at times a little like outside the bounds of what we're used to in church life. So sure. what did some of those things look like that might, that, that might feel like church in some capacity? Sure. Um... One of the greatest things you can do in mindfulness or even for your own mental health is to spend time outside. Um, walking through crushed leaves after, in the fall when they've fallen and they've gotten a little crusty and walking through them and listening and feeling them is a mindful technique that brings peace. And if there's anything that can make me feel closer to God, it's nature. 
And that's just you know, there, that's a piece, you know, breathing the breath. This, you know, you think about, you know, God, you know, uh, God breathed air into Adam to bring us to life. Breathing is one of the best techniques to turn on your parasympathetic system. Sorry, getting into the brain stuff, but. So we react like we're still, you know, have lions chasing us sometimes. <laughs> we'll react that way if we're in the grocery store and the line's too long. There's no lions. <laughs> You're just really annoyed. But if you take a long, deep breath in and a long, deep breath out, and you do that three times, that breath of air turns on the system in your brain that God gave us to calm us down. We use identical language at daily prayer. For those of you who've logged on, you know, say, breathe in the spirit of God and just exhale the mm -hmm. baggage, exhale, you know, what the, yeah. the negativity. And what that does, and, you know, monasteries have studied this, where, like, mm -hmm. it opens up our spirituality. Oxygen is really, really important. So when we pray all hunched over, we're actually not getting mm -hmm. the oxygen. Mm -hmm. But when we allow the oxygen in, all of a sudden, our minds open up, our spirits open up, our awareness of mm -hmm. God's presence around us tends to open up. Exactly. And by helping people improve their mental health, we're helping them open up to God. They may not be able to hear his message in their worst, in their hardest, darkest moments, whether it be suicide or eating disorders or anxiety or depression where you can't get out of bed. If we help them through that, then we open them up to listen to God and to hear his still speaking voice. Mm. And so I want to ask, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're your experience, I mean, obviously has created a passion in you around this. Um, and I heard that passion because when I started exploring around WISE, which really was a result of the pandemic, I mean, I was, I was hearing all these stories. You know, we had been separated from one another for a long time. Families had been separated for a long time. You know, and I heard the burden and the weight that that was creating on families, which is why I was like, well, if we're all sort of feeling our mental health, some of us maybe for the first time, or at least naming it as such, um, maybe there is something we can do in the church about it. So that's what started me down this path. And then, you know, as I started having some conversations, you know, and you were coming on consistory, you know, and we're also spending a little time getting to know each other. I mean, we got to work together so we might as well know, <laughs> know each other. You know, you had a real passion for this, and you had said to me, this is something I've been wanting to work, like, this was mm -hmm. something I committed myself to doing this year. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of places you could have done this work, all right? There's lots of community organizations, you know, you could have done, you know, something, you know, you could have said, hey, you know, I'm just going to have a couple of people mm -hmm. that I meet with. Like, there are lots of ways for this work to be played mm -hmm. out. You chose the church. Mm -hmm. Why the church? What is unique about our spiritual life together that you find where this conversation can be addressed in a particularly potent way? Hmm. So... There's a couple things. The first one that comes to mind is that I can really be here and see it happen. I mean, I could go with advocacy and work through my company, which I am doing some as well, but I don't get to see the direct impact. Um, I feel like I can see the direct impact here. I feel like... I feel like um, I'm making a better place for the people that are here and for the people directly in my community and for the, the kids growing up in my community. And, but there's something, um, as I've said, spirituality didn't come easy to me in terms of that putting my faith in, in God automatically. And so I guess I, I want to, I'm as much looking forward to what, who I can help as what it does for me. Mm. 
and not to be selfish because it sounds a little selfish, but <laughs> I don't think so at all. No, I, if we're yeah, doing all this work and we don't that. expect yeah. our life to grow and to yeah. develop and to be spiritually formed, then yeah, what yeah. kind of what's the? Point? And I want you know what, and I want a better place for my kids. My kids are in a you know, especially my boys, they're high school aged, and we all know. And <laughs> sorry, I know there's young kids here. I, I remember at high school. I was in band. I was busy. I didn't come to church. <laughs> I didn't have time. I was, I was at the Friday night football game and then a Saturday night competition, and we were up late, and I didn't come to church. And Your parents were nicer than mine, but carry on. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when it wasn't that, it was 4-H, you know. So, but I just want them to feel that there's an open place where people are there for them and that, I, you know, they shouldn't be embarrassed by what they're going through, and where they're loved openly for exactly who they are. So being mindful of our time, um, and thank you so much for sharing all of that, but uh, you know, the way we end a sermon is, what do you want me to do? Okay, and so what, what would be a charge that you would give to us as we you know, spend the next couple of weeks discerning mm-hmm. this um, and ultimately decide, you know, hopefully, hopefully go forward with this <laughs> um, and continue exploring this? What would be a charge that you would give to us, to us all? Um, I know we're hoping to have more sessions and stuff and opportunities for people to listen. So I would, I would ask, you know, just listen in sometime to something we're doing to kind of hear the opportunities. I would say, um, pick up a book you haven't read before about mental health, um, Go on Facebook. There's like a million groups. There's a great group called Mindful Christianity, which posts some of the most wonderful short-form sayings or prayers or reminders. Um, and, you know, ask your friends and family. You know, do you ask them, is there ever a time where you just feel really anxious or really down? And just just be open to talking to them, I guess. No, and, and, and that's very much where we find ourselves as, yeah. a, as a congregation, is asking questions, being open to saying, well, wait, what, what is happening to me? Mm-hmm. What is happening to mm-hmm. our community? What are mm-hmm. we enduring as we go through this pandemic? And mm-hmm. I think there is so much to be said. So much of spirituality begins in curiosity and then in wonder. Yeah. When we discover things like, oh, wow, like, well, what, with this new information, what does that mean for my relationship with God and my relationship with one another? And so that call to wonder and to curiosity which means a little bit of exploration, and sometimes yeah. it means asking a question that, you know, wait, what, you want to know what? Well, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. And so I think that call is a really important one right. for us as a community. Yeah, and it can be as simple as, hey, how did, how did this isolation of COVID impact you? Yeah. I mean, talk about an open-ended question that so many of us have Nobody's felt. struggling to answer that question. No, <laughs> and, and people want to talk about it, especially now that we can start getting out and yeah. stuff. So, yeah. So, well, Rachel, thank you very much for this conversation.